Hi and welcome to the Podclots. For today we have an interview with Joe Davis, one of the seminal figures in biomedia. Joe's work has shocked and polarized the artistic community while at the same time laying the foundations for a new artistic discipline. The artist is a research affiliate in the Department of Biology at MIT and his research and art includes work in the fields of molecular biology, bioinformatics and sculpture. With his practice, he was one of the first to blur the lines between art and modern biology, and in the late 80s, Davis collaborated with molecular biology Dana Boyd to insert for the first time a non-biological DNA message into a coding sequence. The recipient was the bacterial strain E. coli, one of the basic tools in molecular biology labs. The word was named Microvenus, and encoded a binary representation of the Germanic rune for the female goddess of earth and life. He kindly welcomed us on a warm afternoon at the end of last summer while he was visiting London on his way towards Electronica. Like quantum physics has to describe everything. Since art has to describe everything, we sort of have to know everything. Mm -hmm. So you can't describe something you don't know anything about or you make bullshit art. responsibility to know a lot about a lot of things if we're not going to be bullshit artists. There was this guy in uh, the court of Caesar Augustus. His name was Marcus Polio Vitruvius. And, um, he wrote the Ten Books of Architecture. Have you heard of him? He was a polymath and his famous, this work was lost for mostly 5,000 years and finally it was retranslated into Latin and Greek in the lifetimes of Vitruvius. So he, he wrote in his book that architects, like all other artists, um, have to know certain things. He said, he said that you have to be creative and you have to have the ability to listen and if you can't listen and you're and you're creative or if you're not creative and you're a good listener then neither way will you ever become what he calls a perfect master he said artists should be good writers he said uh, they should know how to draw of course he said that they should be good at figures they, they should know arithmetic you tell that to an artist these days He said that they should know geometry and optics and um, something about history and natural and moral philosophy. He said that we should know the science of law and physics, and we should know the proportions and the motions of the astronomical bodies and the motions and proportions of the human body. We should know about music. He said, it may seem impossible that any one person should know all this stuff, but you have to start at a young age and be persistent, otherwise Mm -hmm. you never get there, he says. And that's why Da Vinci, you see, there were no Renaissance figures went for them to look up to when Brunelleschi and Da Vinci and all these guys Mm -hmm. were walking around. They had this guy, Vitruvius, and and that inspired Da Vinci's Vitruvian man. Mm Nowadays, also, like, with the amount of information there is... Yeah, um, the, the Trivius uh, would have put some more stuff on the list. <laughs> we were designed to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all of our problems come mm-hmm. from the fact that we do just one thing, one mm-hmm. way to work, one car. We live in one apartment. We have one spouse. We mm-hmm. have one... Uh, we stay in one room oh, all yeah. day long while the world goes by outside, and then uh, we complain that we don't have a life. 
it's well, I guess like, it all comes from the enli- it's a bit from the enli- enlightenment of the, the mm. compartmentalization not compartmentalization but just the and secularization of yeah. knowledge mm-hmm. that's an interesting I think it's, it starts with more of the sciences not like mm-hmm. it's separating and then like but also I don't know if like sometimes you notice nowadays the counter enlightenment like, uh, uh, yeah. enlightenment was great <laughs> it was um, you know this time that this great refreshment mm-hmm. of knowledge and uh, scientific ideas became the subject of art yeah. and, uh, and artists contributed to science mm-hmm. there were Robert Fulton, who did the steamboat and desi- helped to design the Erie Canal, and uh, Samuel Morrison, the, even though he was a vicious anti-Semite um, xenophobe, oh. he did t- t- telegraphy. But they were both students of Benjamin West here in England. Interesting. And there are other examples, too, where... Uh, it, but this... See, this came to an end um, when the enlightened despots like Charles V and Catherine the Great and Louis the Fourteenth decided they would enforce the principles of the Enlightenment on the unwashed, illiterate masses who were like religiously fanatic, and uh, and this got their heads chopped off. <laughs> and the last champion of the Enlightenment was Napoleon Bonaparte, who like had public education. Uh, government sponsorship of science, but he was also pinky in the brain and wanted just to conquer the world and mm-hmm. kill millions of people. <laughs> he couldn't get over so, that. <laughs> so then we had the counter-enlightenment. Like, if you look up art in the dictionary, like, we argue about what art is and isn't all the time. Constantly, people argue about what mm-hmm. art is or isn't. But if you speak one language, then you have to agree to use that lexicon. And yep. somebody, at some time or another, wrote a definition for art. And that's oh, art. Yep. And in all of the dictionaries, in the Oxford Dictionary, in the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language, in the Webster's Dictionary, it always says, opposed to nature. Now, isn't that funny? It's it's very funny. Artists hate that. But see, it's like we struggle against um, the photo-oxidation of pigments and the weathering of our monuments and the freeze-thaw cycles that destroy the greatest treasures of civilization and the... You know, it's always been a kind of struggle with the forces of nature to make something out of nature, right? But in the romantic, art of the romantics, human figures had never, were no longer felt capable of opposing nature. They were just the witless victims of nature. They were tiny figures in these vast landscapes of terrible catastrophes and floods and earthquakes and... The raft of the Medusa. This was, uh, it was Ahab grabbing onto the jaws of the whale, oh. raging against <laughs> God and nature. This was the futility of. But see, Ahab was right. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> what we have now, the, the the descendant of all of that is the is the art world. Do we have art speak? And we're like we're given this painting of a say a beautiful sunset on the beach and we're expected to wrap our gratuitous senses around this beautiful thing and then we go ah and that's enough never mind that the colors we see are the spectra of a g-type star that's actually a violent nuclear reaction going on right now 93 million miles away that the colors we see are the index of refraction of atmosphere and the particles suspended there and the those rocks on the beach are the windows onto whole other kingdoms of life and lost worlds. And see, if all of this 
and that there's a range that there's the range of colors in the sunset that we can't see. All of this is why the sunset is beautiful, and if you don't see that, if you don't think about that, then it's a brick wall. It's the blind leading the blind. So like you're for saying like the, the artist should like need to know more like what are they depicting? Artists will think, well, I don't have to go. I don't need to know. Mm -hmm. All I need to know is, you know, my uninformed, illiterate senses tell me to know. Sad. I'm a champion of this idea about unification of knowledge, mm -hmm. um, but artists just get mad <laughs> think I'm being mean. I wait for this moment where I sense that there is this, this like Chinese finger puzzle where, where art and science come together in such a way that they that they won't <laughs> and if you separate them there's neither art nor science uh, that's a special very special moment mm -hmm. you know you know it you, when you see yeah, it yeah, you yeah, recognize yeah, yeah. it you go oh my god this is you know art that's poetically profound this is no science that's poetically think, profound mm -hmm. and art that's scientifically relevant and that's uh, a wonderful mm -hmm. moment yeah so at, at MIT, <laughs> I met these scientists who were interested in, at MIT and Harvard, who were interested in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And the messages that the scientific community put together to communicate with aliens, never mind that we can't communicate with ourselves, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I guess, like, each of these messages were really flawed. They were, like... So obviously flawed, but nobody seemed to notice. And, <laughs> and I found this to be really telling about the identity of human beings. Um, because you have to reveal yourself to yourself before you can reveal yourself to anyone else. And um, anyway, it's a paradox. So <laughs> I got excited about that, and I did several projects involving the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, including... Up to that time, the most powerful radar transmission ever sent to other stars and to four nearby sun-like stars, not stars 25,000 light years away, and not only for three minutes, but for 20 minutes. And so, so, but then I started to realize the problems with radar transmission, the light diverges, uh, even the speed of light in the cosmological sense is a slow boat, the speed of light we were to send a message to the other side of our own galaxy and then back again, that would be 200,000 years, which is when the mitochondrial Eve was supposed to have existed and she may not even have been human species. <laughs> so here we are waiting in the chapel with fresh flowers for the spouse, right? Bachelor descending, descending the staircase, waiting and waiting and waiting to strip the bride bare and, you know, no. we're sitting there in the chapel for 200,000 years. It's, it was ironic. And then there were all these like weird representations of human beings, like we lack certain genitalia. Um, we're, uh, we have, we're friendly people with scientific attitudes. Uh, we have family values like the Reagans. We're like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, we're, there's nothing in there about the fact that there's never been any packs, anything that we've been chopping each other to pieces, literally, for, ever since human beings walked on the surface of the planet. 
or that we have this dead-end ecology that we recognize ourselves and that's our own fault and uh, you know none of this uh -huh. nothing about it but how we persecute and tolerate disease and starvation among members of our own species for religion and ethnic reasons is nothing about that it's I wouldn't buy a used car from this species I'll tell you <laughs> just wouldn't buy a used car from it so I found it to be a lush ground for artistic activity and I did several experiments and like I put the famous Drake message that was sent from mm -hmm. Arecibo, 1,679 zeros and ones. I put them in uh, bottles that were empty and full of water in, in 18 aisles of library at the MIT Science Library in the stacks. And uh, all the information the message referred to was in the library. Everything you needed to decode the message was in the library. And supposedly better than average terrestrial intelligence was in the library, but they just argued about whether it was art or not. Um, I guess they, were, they weren't still ready for... <laughs> yeah, so... Um, bacteria, especially sporulating bacteria, can survive the extremes of the space environment, mm -hmm. vacuum, radiation, temperature, they're known to be able to persist for periods of geologic time. My God, can you imagine the aliens finally call us back and we, we pick up the phone hey. and they go, uh, hello, we're the aliens, you, you sent yeah. us a message, we're, we got it, we're, now we're really interested, uh, what is all this stuff about divinity anyway? We go, um, can you hold the phone a minute? I mean, <laughs> and the last human being goes, uh, we're extinct. <laughs> we have a couple of like religious, religious issues. <laughs> it's not just biology. It's, yeah. it's this kind of like uh, interactivity with everything around me. And I find I'm really lucky guy. I've had like six lives squeezed mm. into this life. And... And I'm surrounded by the greatest minds in the world. I'm affiliated yeah. with both MIT and Harvard. Yeah. And if I need anything, I mean anything, if I need a nuclear reactor yeah, or yeah. a radar bright enough to outshine the sun or a million-watt laser, yeah. half-gallon of heavy water, yeah. whatever I need. And yeah. they never paid me for 30 years. They never paid me, but how much is that worth? You know, how much was my laboratory bench worth in real estate? I mean, imagine that. It's like, how much did they pay to go to these institutions it's like and I've been there for 35 years but in April <laughs> George sent me a letter George Church he sent me a letter it was dated April 1st that's April Fool's Day it said Joe we're going to pay you now uh, <laughs> you know uh, we're, they're paying me like 25 bucks an hour for 17 hours a week that's 324 dollars a week that's pretty damn good like considering that i got nothing before <laughs> that's amazing and george says there's no termination date and i'm not expected to be productive just continue to be creative and uh i have a laboratory i have a i'm affiliated with the lab at mit also mm -hmm. thomas schwartz's lab and what like your your interest at the moment like your research interest about like the, the bacteria that you say I, I, I read something about like the, the junk DNA you know what we were just talking about Eddie and I we're, we're doing uh, for this demonstration at a gallery in um, uh, Norway we're uh, transforming sterile apple leaf sterile tissue with um, 
George and I both worked on this with the cuneiform, the most ancient story of the garden and the serpent and the tree from the stone, this cuneiform stone that was inscribed 3,700 years ago in Ur, city of Abraham. Uh, so we're coding this into DNA and including it in this, in this apple tissue in lieu of doing the whole Wikipedia there. Uh, and today, Eddie and I were talking about, and this is pretty good, 40-something thousand characters. We decided we could put the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty of 1968 into cockroach DNA, which is supposed to survive the nuclear war. Baclovirus, the same vectors I use mm -hmm. for, uh, um, uh, yeah. the same vectors I use for mm -hmm. silkworms. Mm -hmm. I just have to micro-inject cockroach uh, eggs. <laughs> With, like, the baclovirus. With the yeah. transposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Expression yeah. vector. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a baclovirus-based vector. Uh-huh. But it's not a viral vector. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I, I used to use baclovirus for, like, very long, like, DNA sequences. Back of wild type baclovirus is really nasty. It dissolves you. The insect, the victim melts. Really? Yeah. God. Dissolves. Ah. Uh -huh. How that's an advantage to a virus? I guess it's to release viral particles or something. <laughs> what is the chief enemy of my creativity? I hate artists. Artists suck. <laughs> You want me to say that louder? Yeah, artists, artists suck. suck. <laughs> <laughs> I, my enemy is illiteracy. My enemy is the the one thing paradox. I made. I graduated from art school. I made some art about pink stuffed poodles, and that's all I'm ever gonna do for the rest of my life. And dare anybody else make anything that has anything to do with pink stuffed poodles? Fuck. One wife, one car, one way to one. It's like, it's like a ticket to doom. <laughs> I should show you some correspondence with this woman who's trying to make uh, handbags with human cells. And I tried to explain to her the ethical problems about working with human tissue. She came to us and George didn't know what to say, so he t turned, him, turned her on me and on one of my colleagues. And we like met with this girl and we tried to explain like what you're actually proposing to do is not only... Is it unethical, but it's also technically impossible because you can't grow sufficient skin cells and they're certainly not going to be alive yeah. to be... She wants us to put anti-aging genes in them, so those... But you got to vascularize and da-da-da, and the most you can grow is something like this yeah, big, and the, there's uh, this company the moment, in New York that's trying to grow tiles, yeah. make layers of tiles of, to make, mm -hmm. and somebody in our lab is doing mastodon leather. But, um, again... It's not alive, and I just tried to explain. So I, I tried to explain what the difficulties look like from here, but that if she was really interested, she could come to lab, that we should bring her into lab, and then she could learn these techniques on her own, investigate the possibilities, and then she would create something. But she took that as a terrible insult, and, the, and then oh, really? I have this like, series of emails that would just blow your mind. It said, and there's, this is going to be inevitably... Um, connected to the stories of the mass murderers, the art of these mass murderers who made belts and lampshades and seat covers out of human skin. I didn't say anything about Nazis. And then she wrote me back, you accused me of being a Nazi, and that was the most <laughs> terrible thing you ever did. And I was just saying, but, matter of fact, crying out loud, this is what you're going to have to deal with. We're just, always using George. We have a line of George's IPS cells. No way. <laughs> George, yeah, we've used him for a lot of things. 
and it's an immortal line, and I also want to be immortal. So, yeah. but I can't because of because of. Uh, I, I sometimes thought about it. It's like it's, it's like, called, you're um, like a, you're a sample and you're more you you I, I <laughs> yourself. It's called coercion. The ethicists call it coercion. So I can't make my own cell cell line IPS cell line in my lab. Yeah, but, but you another can, lab can make it and send it to my lab, and then I can work on it mm-hmm. in the lab, and I can do that ethically. Yeah. But it's just that yeah. something about if you're working on that cell line in your lab and it's your cell line then mm-hmm. it's coercion yeah so otherwise somebody else's lab has to make it and then send it to you so we could trade you know it's not just biology it's like it's being having an open mind about paying attention to the physical world around you I mean you know I hate it when I'm expected to abbreviate and simplify the operations of the natural world for audiences of artists as if they're not you know, capable of, you know, mm-hmm. it's really, it's, it's a tragedy. Yeah, they take it, they mm-hmm. tell us when we were little kids in elementary yeah. school, oh, these, this, this was Leonardo da Vinci, he was the flower of the human intellect, and th- this is what we can, this is what artists can be, and then they systematically rip those ideas yeah. out of you, like, through <laughs> all of education and all of your corporate life, and all this, mm-hmm. all this stuff about... It's not that we're not capable. We certainly are, because we were designed to do everything. Yeah. And all our problems come from our, us trying to do just one mm-hmm. thing. You like this? This is something that IDT, we're working on these new oligos now. And IDT, one of the producers of synthetic DNA in mm-hmm. large scale. This one's kind of obsolete, but these are the the conditions that they assume any insert to be biologically friendly these uh-huh. are the conditions this is a great compendium build something uh, that's compatible uh, with biology and yet can it, keep parity with your input data mm-hmm. so it's just like it's like the the whole sequence or, or, about, or the, you know, or the like flanking mono, as well. mononucleotide repeats at the CG ratio CG all these different you know qualities that we have to take into account when mm-hmm. we synthesize oligos that must coexist with mm-hmm. uh, you know DNA sequencing tools DNA, I said this on that video that I played the other night on the Nova video that DNA sequencing, that our processing power that all of this stuff is developing at such, such a rate right now there's a capability to replace the internet. We can put, we can use the whole entire terrestrial biome as the message board. It's not just apples and cockroaches. It's everything, you know. And then Oxford Nanopore, the USB sequencer, doesn't It's poor right now. It needs their repeats and um, their deletions. But um, this technology is developing rapidly. That's going to be, you know, be able to stick something on your iPhone. And, and stick a piece of grass in it and read the DNA. Like, this is the species, this is da 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 da, and this is. Yeah. We did molecular uh, sequencing for. I sequenced the genome of this ancient apple mm-hmm. at, in Sweden with my colleagues at Karolinska. Uh, we did RNA, we did the transcriptome mm-hmm. and the, um, yeah. the genome. Uh, and we used molecular then, which gave us pretty long reads, but now 10x is better than that, and mm-hmm. now. Hackbio's got something better than yeah, and yeah, and everything is faster. Like like when, mm. when like the first like high throughput sequences, they took like <laughs> they two days to just to get all all your sequencers. 
I, did, I couldn't live without a totally irrational universe. If everything made sense, it would be really boring. You know, you just sort of get used to it. It's not supposed to make sense, you know. But do you try to make sense out of it? Well, you know, involuntarily we all do, but you have to have this sort of realization that... Uh, That's still less like just... <laughs> no, you, you know, you can feel a great weight lifted when you realize it doesn't make sense, it's not going to make sense, it's never going to make sense. And mystery, the fact that there's still a lot of mysteries in the world, that makes that adventure possible. You know, the search for those, you know, the mystery. Uh, but you have to have the quality of curiosity to, like, understand that there are still mysteries in the world. Mm -hmm. People who aren't curious never realize that there, <laughs> that there are mysteries. It's so sad in a way. <laughs> To become familiar with Joe Davis' work is to come into an understanding of the creative potential for biomedia and its relationship to culture and semiotics. Hoping it's been an entertaining time and you join us for the next show.